The title of my uh, presentation is Parental Rights in the United States and Internationally, the Right to Determine the Values Taught One's Child. The natural right of parents to direct the upbringing of their children is universally recognized as a protected interest. Perhaps the best evidence for that proposition comes from the United Nations nearly unanimous declaration of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which contains the following provision. Parents have a prior right to choose the kind of education that shall be given to their children. That's the UDHR Article 26 sub 3. Although a general support for parental rights can be legitimately inferred from another article, that's Article 16.3, which says the family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society and is entitled to protection by society and the state. It's actually the right of parents in education that was singled out for the strongest protection in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. As is often the case, there is a historical reason for the special attention given to the protection of rights of parents to choose a form of education consistent with the values of the family. UDHR was generally adopted in response to the atrocities committed by the German government in, under the National Socialism of the Third Reich. The provision on parental rights in education was no exception to that rule. Hitler's education program received considerable emphasis and was integral in his long-range dreams of domination. And I'm quoting, uh, this is the first time ever I've quoted Adolf Hitler in a speech. In my great educative work, I'm beginning with the young. We older ones are used up. Yes, we are old already. We are rotten to the marrow. We have no unrestrained instincts left. We are bearing the burden of a humiliating past and have in our blood the dull recollection of serfdom and servility. But my magnificent youngsters, are there finer ones anywhere in the world? Look at these young men and boys. What material? With them, I can make a new world. Racial studies was a new subject that formed an integral part of the curriculum under National Socialism. In fact, any traditional subject that got in the way of Nazi indoctrination was to be abandoned. A Nazi directive of 1940 explained the approach. It is not the task of the elementary school to impart a multiplicity of knowledge for the personal use of the individual. It has to develop and harness all physical and mental powers of youth for the service of the people and the state. Therefore, the only subject that has any place in the school curriculum is that which is necessary to achieve this aim. All other subjects springing from obsolete educational ideas must be discarded. Similarly, the Soviet Union viewed the public schools as a key component of its long-range program. It was clear that inculcating in children a true sense of collectivism is a major goal of Soviet education, and second, ensuring that children are brought up with an appropriate set of attitudes about labor. The scholars Pine concluded her seminal work on Nazi education with the following observation. An understanding of education in the Third Reich illustrates the dangers of political indoctrination, excuse me, of political ideology determining which subjects are taught in schools and how they are taught. You find to skip ahead and think about critical race theory if you like. It's obvious suggestion. Realistically, there are only two possible answers to this question. Who decides how children should be educated? The Nazis and the Soviets determined that the state should make that decision. Both regimes used their public education system intentionally with the goal of forming the child's worldview in a manner acceptable to the state. 
The rest of the world, in reaction to the evils of totalitarianism under the UDHR, strongly endorsed the alternative answer. Parents should decide the schools for their children and the philosophy which they should be taught. Now, the United States Supreme Court has long recognized the rights of parents to direct the upbringing of their children, particularly in education. When Oregon sought to ban private education, again, aimed mainly at Catholic schools, so, so that all children would be put in the melting pot of the public schools for the express purpose of molding their values and beliefs to be that of, quote, unquote, true Americans, the US Supreme Court held that such a goal to be contrary to constitutional protections and American values. And this one quote from the Supreme Court is well worth hearing once again. The fundamental theory upon which all governments in this union repose excludes any general power of the state to standardize its children by forcing them to accept instruction from public teachers only. The child is not the mere creature of the state. Those who nurture him and direct his destiny have the right, coupled with a high duty, to recognize and prepare him for additional obligations. Now the court went further when in the 1940s the state of West Virginia sought to expel Jehovah Witnesses from the public schools for refusing to recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Of the many important proclamations of the court in West Virginia versus Barnett, which reversed the Supreme Court's contrary decision just two years earlier, but two of their statements stand out as especially relevant for our consideration today. The first is this. As governmental pressure towards unity becomes greater, so strife becomes more bitter as to whose, whose unity it shall be. Probably no deeper division of our people could proceed from any provocation than from finding it necessary to choose what doctrine and whose program public education officials shall compel youth to unite in embracing. Ultimate futility of such attempts to compel coherence is the lesson of every such effort from the Roman drive to stamp out Christianity as a disturber of, of its pagan unity, the Inquisition as a means of religious and dynastic unity, the Siberian exiles as a means of Russian unity, down to the fast-failing efforts of our present totalitarian enemies. Remember, of course, this is written in the 1940s. Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves exterminating dissenters. Compulsory unification of opinion achieves only the unanimity of the graveyard. Now this case was grounded on broad principles applying to all parents and all children, not merely those with particular religious scruples. And the breadth of the protection was not limited to particular subjects in which the government might seek to court, uh, coerce uniformity of viewpoint. The court said rather, and I'm again quoting, if there's any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or for citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. If there are any circumstances which permit an exception, they do not now occur to us. Now, there are two principles we can distill from what we've considered to this point. First, any government that seeks to use the public schools to indoctrinate children in its preferred worldview employs recognized tools and tactics of totalitarian governments. Second, any government engaged in this practice violates universal norms of the right of parents to de determine the moral and general worldview of their children's education. Parents' rights 
deal with a host of substantive issues beyond education. There are important parental rights considerations in medical care, religious upbringing, disciplinary choices, and much more. And parents have procedural rights for various components of due process if an agency of government seeks to remove custody of a child from a parent. But I would respectfully suggest that the ultimate and most dangerous invasions of parental rights and of parental authority involve government efforts to impose the government's preferred worldview or moral philosophy upon all children. If governments possess the power of coerced indoctrination of children, little is left of the family's true purpose and scope, and little remains of freedom for any citizen of any age. Governments that seek to indoctrinate children are always tyrannical. Even if such governments are not yet tyrannical in every function, coerced indoctrination is the very essence of tyranny, and at the same time, the gateway to an increasing scope of soul-numbing oppression. Now, the reports coming out of the system, school systems in the Portland, Oregon area and its suburbs are simply terrifying. Children are being taught the narrative that America is fundamentally evil, and the rioters who continue to wreak havoc in that once beautiful, quiet city are held up as heroes. As Krista Rufos reported, the schools have self-consciously adopted the pedagogy of the oppressed as their theoretical orientation, activated through a curriculum of critical race theory and enforced through the appointment of de facto political officers within individual schools. And it's working. The schools have become, Rufo notes, a school to radicalism pipeline. But it's not just in radicalized Portland or Seattle where these forces hold sway, as you've heard well documented throughout this conference. In my home county of Loudoun County, Virginia, the radicals have seized control and have no apparent misgivings as they spin off in a very extreme direction that is uh, leaving a sizable portion of our community gasping at the sheer audacity of their tactics and shuddering at the implications for the future of our community and our nation should they succeed. Loudoun is the school district that you've heard suspended the teacher Tanner Cross. Tanner, by the way, goes to church with me. Uh, he had the audacity to speak for one minute at a recent school board meeting in opposition to a proposed sexual political mandate. Now here in Ohio, one black mother in Beechwood confronted that district's all-white, all-woke school board with the stinging denouncement of critical race theory. She said to the board concerning an official district policy, your stated goal is to make children advocates, I mean activists, in their own home. What does that mean? You're creating an atmosphere, trying to create an adversarial relationship between parents and child when that relationship needs to be strengthened. You're intrinsically advocating the kids just to be adversarial to, to their parents. It's nuts. This is nuts. The efforts of progressive education advocates to supplant the views of parents is not limited to their control of public schools. Many have taken dead aim at the homeschooling movement, which Jim Mason's talk very thoroughly uh, gives, and I'll just give this very short uh, attention to, um, in light of that. Now, but I do want to give you just a couple of more people besides Elizabeth Bartholet. Catherine Ross, who teaches constitutional law at George Washington Law School and is the co-author of a treatise on family law, her opinion of parental rights is as follows. Many liberal political theorists argue, however, there are limits to tolerance. In order for the norm of tolerance to survive across generations, society need not and should not tolerate 
I thought there was a norm of tolerance. Society need not and should not tolerate the inculcation of absolutist views that undermine toleration of difference. Respect for difference should not be confused with approval for approaches that would splinter us into countless warring groups. Hence, an argument that tolerance for diverse views and values is a foundational principle does not conflict with the notion that the state can and should limit the ability of intolerant homeschoolers to inculcate hostility to difference in their children, at least during the portion of the school day they claim to devote to satisfying the compulsory schooling requirement. Kimberly Rocco, who's the former dean at Northwestern University School of Law, agrees with Ross, and she says about homeschooling, Virtually absent from the debate has been any discussion of the extent to which a liberal society should condone or constrain homeschooling, particularly as by, practiced by religious fundamentalist families explicitly seeking to shield their children from, the, from liberal values of sex equality, gender role fluidity, and critical rationality. Yuraco further contends that the Constitution requires states to regulate homeschooling to achieve a minimal education. This constitutional norm imposes a duty on the state to ensure that children receive a liberal multicultural education that promotes at least minimal autonomy. Her analysis cites neither a constitutional text, because there is none, nor any case law, because there is none, for the claimed existence of her alleged self-created norm. Martha Albert Finneman, Professor Lott Emery, stakes out the ultimate solution for the problem proposed by Christian home education. She wants to ban all private education. She says, perhaps the most appropriate uh, suggestion for our current educational dilemma is that public education should be mandatory and universal. She wrote that parents or private schools unfairly impose hierarchical or oppressive beliefs on their children. Now, just by the way, the, the, the people that sponsored the bill in Oregon that became an initiative and became the basis for Pierce versus Society of Sisters, which the Supreme Court very successfully ruled that private education was a constitutional right of parents to choose. The two groups that backed that measure were the Scottish Rite Masons and the Ku Klux Klan. So you now have these liberal law professors advocating exactly the same position the Ku Klux Klan was advocating in the 1920s. The only difference is the Klan wanted its worldview taught in the public schools, and these liberal professors wanted their worldview taught in the public schools. Let's switch to the international scene for a moment. In England, official inspectors from the state-run British Office for Standards in Education are reported to have asked intrusive and inappropriate questions of children at schools across the UK. At Grindon Hall Christian School, inspectors asked young children if they knew what lesbians did and whether any of their friends felt trapped in the wrong body. In Scotland, the, as, you, as you heard uh, earlier from Stephen, the Scottish government was forced to withdraw its named person scheme after the UK Supreme Court ruled that it violated human rights law. This scheme would have seen every child from birth until 18 appointed an external named person other than the parent as a clear point of contact responsible for their well-being, and in fact, a, a guardian ad litem appointed for every child. In Germany, kindergartners aged three through six have faced significant criticism in the past decade regarding the implementation of a so-called naked play. It was originally implemented with the view of encouraging children to become acquainted and comfortable with their bodies, but saw, soon saw children being inappropriate and even harassing younger children. There's a push for a specific 
type of further education for those who work at kindergartens to implement teaching on the benefits of naked play and sexual education at a young age. At the UN level, the International Guidelines on sexual, Sexuality Education was published by UNESCO. According to the guidelines, children five through eight should be taught that bodies can be, feel good when touched, and touching and rubbing one's genitals is it's called masturbation. That's what they wanted to teach five to eight-year-olds. Updated guidance from 2018 calls on, uh, on nine to 12-year-olds to demonstrate respect for the gender identity of others and to identify cultural, religious, and social beliefs and practices related to sexuality that have changed over time. In the context of homeschooling, many European nations are in clear violation of the International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and the UDHR, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, by their open refusal to permit parents to choose homeschooling in conformity with their religious and moral beliefs. Germany effectively bans homeschooling because of its fear of what it calls parallel societies, which really means that they're afraid of people who think and believe differently from government-sanctioned views. It does not appear to be an effective means of combating Islamic extremism, but it have been quite effective in making the lives of serious Christian families so untenable that, the, that leaving the country has become the only viable option for many people. Much of Europe takes a similar approach to homeschooling. French President Macron has threatened to severely limit homeschooling. And a recent decision, relatively recent decision of the European Court of Human Rights in the Wunderlich case gives the insight into an official antipathy for home education. This case officially involved a challenge to the legitimacy of the removal of the Wunderlich children as opposed to a more direct consideration of the right to homeschool. But in the end, the court's decision contains a blend of the two issues. It begins with the helpful principle that children cannot be removed from parents merely because there might be some improvement in the circumstances of the child. Rather, the government sh must show that there's some necessity that warrants the removal. The necessity for removing the Wonderlic children, the court believed, arose from the government's interest in compulsory education. The court said that Germany's goal in introducing such a system had aimed at ensuring the integration of children into society with a view to avoiding the emergence of parallel societies, considerations that were in line with the court's own case law on the importance uh, of pluralism for democracy. Now, that reasoning may have a lilting melody and a beautiful harmony, but the lyrics of the song simply don't make sense. Pluralism does not mean homogenization. It means that a society welcomes those who think and act differently. A parallel society is one that does not accept all the premises of the current mainstream trends. But it is parallel, not perpendicular, to the mainstream society. They're at odds with each other. They cannot believe in pluralism and tolerance on the one hand and demand homogenization on the other. They don't add up. Now, let's talk about the United States and let's talk about finding a remedy to all this. In the 1940 decision of Cantwell versus Connecticut, the Supreme Court proclaimed that the free exercise embraces clause embraces two concepts, the freedom to believe and the freedom to act. The first is absolute, that is the freedom to believe is absolute. But in the nature of things, the second cannot be. Now it's my contention that worldview indoctrination in the public schools impacts the right to believe far more than it impacts 
the right to act. This is corroborated, I believe, by the statement in Barnett that the government is prohibited from ever determining what is orthodox in matters of opinion on any subject and forcing conformity to such orthodoxy. Again, what the court said there was, if there's any circumstances which permit an exception, they do not now occur to us. Now, although I would resist and have successfully fought against ever using international law as a mechanism for interpreting the Constitution, it is instructive to note just how high parental rights in education are held in the documents of international law as opposed to the practice. But in the documents of international law, the right of parents to ensure that their children will receive an education in accordance with their own beliefs is found in Article 18, Sub 4 of the um, UN Convention, or the, excuse me, the ICCPR. Now, Article 4 of that same convention contains a general rule concerning when rights in the treaties may be overridden. And I'll quote it to you. In time of public emergency, which threatens the life of the nation, okay, how big of an emergency does it have to be? It has a public emergency which threatens the life of the nation and the existence of which is full officially proclaimed. The state parties to this present covenant may take measures derogating from the, their obligations, meaning they can have a workaround around those obligations, under the present covenant to the extent strictly required by the exigencies of the situation, provided that such measures are not inconsistent with their obligations under international law and do not involve discrimination solely on the basis of race, color, sex, language, religion, or social origin. That's a really high standard. Only ex existential threats to the nation qualify in their strict limits. I apologize, that's my cell phone going off. So I'm interrupting myself. Ignore it. Don't listen to that Mission Impossible music. Okay. Article four, sub two of this paragraph, it'll be done in a minute, says the exception that I've just read you doesn't apply in seven particular articles of the convention. So even if the nation's existence at stake is at stake, there are seven times you still can't violate people's human rights. So one of the articles listed in this list of non-derogable rights is Article 18. Article 18 is the place where parental rights in education are found. So the net rule of this international treaty is this, even if your nation's existence is at stake. You cannot override the right of parents to choose the kind of education that you're giving to your children. There is no higher standard in international law than that. Now, we are in very rarefied territory when we talk about the right of parents to protect their children from compelled in government indoctrination in a contrary worldview. It is what the Supreme Court has said, we cannot see a circumstance where there's an exception, and international law says even if the nation's existence is at stake, there's no exception to the rule. So this is high as it gets, both in US and international law. So what do we do about what's going on in the public schools? You've heard over this conference, and you knew before you came here in most of your cases, that what's going on in the public school is simply egregious that uh, it, it can't be explained in normal language. It's so awful to defy common sense and to defy uh, belief.
Now, in a recent speech um, that was sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom, former U.S. Attorney General William Barr argued that the indoctrination going on in the public schools has gotten so egregious as to potentially trigger a finding that such methodology, such indoctrination, violates the Establishment Clause of the First, Agenda, First Amendment. Such an argument could also be brought along with both free exercise and parental rights claims to argue that a constitutional violation exists and a remedy must be afforded. Now, one possible remedy would be to require the removal of worldview indoctrination programs from the public schools. Now, this is something that's under active consideration in many state legislatures. And litigation is beginning to percolate in this area, seeking this kind of relief. Perhaps a more likely remedy would be to oppose on offending districts a program of educational choice where any parent that objects to such indoctrination could take their full share of public funding for their child and transfer that money to the school of their choice. The educational choice line of cases seems open for this development, but it would be a third stage of litigation that impacts this area. The first stage was securing a ruling from the Supreme Court that including religious schools in a broad neutral program of educational choice did not violate the Establishment Clause. This rule was first announced in Mueller versus Allen and was made even more secure by the unanimous victory of Witters versus Washington Department of Services for the Blind. And I should disclose, I argued Witters in the Supreme Court. In Witters, the court ruled that even when educational choice that was in question was a student who wanted to attend a Bible college to enter the ministry, that there was no establishment clause violation for funding his program so long as the program was taken as a whole was neutral toward religion. Now, it was happening in that case. It was a program for the rehabilitation of the blind. Blind students could take their money and go to any college they want and study anything they want. Washington State said yes, except for going to a religious school to study to be uh, a religious vocation. I won 9 to 0. Thurgood Marshall wrote the opinion. Now, the next phase of, that, of this line of cases was holding that when the states do operate programs with general benefits for schools outside of those operated by the government, that's a violation of the free exercise clause and equal protection principles to exclude religious schools from such programs. The first ruling in this regard was Trinity Lutheran um, Church of Columbia versus Comer, a case that was argued by the organization I lead, Alliance Defending Freedom, in the Supreme Court. And in that case, it involved a preschool play, playground, I can say that even late in the day, playground safety program. Now, following that victory, the Supreme Court applied Trinity Lutheran to a broad educational program in K through 12 education in Montana. In that case, in Espinoza versus Montana, the court held that Montana's Constitution's Blaine Amendment, which prohibited funding for religious schools under any circumstance, was likewise a violation of the Free Exercise Clause. It is a short but important step to extend this line of cases to situations where educational choice is, on the one hand, not offered by the legislature, but a funding, a public school system violates the Establishment Clause, the Free Exercise Clause, or parental rights I contend that that would be a sufficient basis for the courts to hold that educational choice is a constitutional mandate as a remedy for other constitutional violations of parental rights in education. Now, it's my firm belief 
that we stand in a moment where parental rights in education will either disappear or be significantly enhanced, one or the other. And let me just give you, I go out of my paper for a second and just give you a little more background. You've heard a lot about um, opting out of, of school, bad programs, and by all means, try it. But if it turns to litigation and it turns to constitutional standards, under current law, you will likely not be successful because the current law is generally bad on this. Now, prior to the 1980s, there was a underdeveloped but existing um, set of cases that, that pretty well contended that parents had the right to opt their children out of programs, discrete programs within public schools that were objectionable on a variety of grounds. One of the more famous cases was, even though it was a lower court decision, it was written, written by a Supreme Court justice who was sitting as a circuit justice and involved mandatory ROTC. And the, and, and the court held that you could not force a child to be uh, a pacifist child to, to take mandatory ROTC. Um, but in a, uh, the case that started turning the tide was a case that I lost in, in the Sixth Circuit. Uh, versus, or, uh, Moser versus Hawkins County School District that uh, Mike Donnelly briefly referred to yesterday. Uh, the issue in that case was a reading series of textbooks, first through eighth grade, that systematically undermined Christian values. And the school district, in the course of the litigation, stipulated that the books did, in fact, uh, conflict directly with the religious beliefs of the parents. And the parents ask simply to uh, be allowed to excuse their children from the reading class, go down to the library, and teach their children reading from the prior year's public school reading textbooks, which they found unobjectionable. A very, very modest request. And the school district said, no, we're not going to allow you to have this alternative, you will sit in the classroom and you will take this mandatory reading. I, in deposition, I asked the superintendent, why do you want these kids in this class uh, reading books that violate their beliefs, kicking and screaming against you every moment? And he said, because eventually they'll stop kicking and screaming. Eventually they will change their beliefs. That's clearly what was going on. Uh, we lost in the district court initially, took it to the Sixth Circuit on a summary judgment uh, appeal, one in the Sixth Circuit, remanded to the district court, had a full trial. After a full trial, the same judge ruled in our favor, ruled that the parents did have the right to an alternative here. Sixth Circuit reversed that, and that has unleashed a series of, and the Supreme Court, to everyone's shock, denied cert, denied review in, in that particular case. And the, um, uh, the cases that have come down since then, uh, there's a case called Hot Safe, and sexy um, versus brown, I think it is, from the Ninth Circuit, where mandatory sex education, parents cannot opt their kids out of that. You, you do not have a recognized constitutional right. This is by the, a consensus of circuit court opinions, one step below the Supreme Court. You do not have a federal, recognized federal constitutional right to opt your kids out of things. So if we don't have that, how are we going to win the case that I just outlined for you? That, the case that ADF intends to bring, actually a series of cases that ADF tends, intends to bring, challenging critical race theory, critical gender theory, and the coercions that go with it. The difference is this. Back in the 80s, what the public schools were doing was very effective, but it was subtle. The school was not saying, despite that one admission on, on deposition, generally speaking, the public schools were saying, 
we're just trying to be neutral. We're just providing a variety of views, and kids can pick or choose whatever they want. And to be fair, that was closer to the reality, far closer to the reality, than if any public school official said that today. That is not what's going on in the public schools today. The public schools of today are clear. They, any idea that there are no absolute values are gone, there are absolute values theirs. And you will believe them or else. You will use the mandatory pronouns. You will do what, what we say or you will um, be punished, you'll be expelled, whatever, the, 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 their willingness to um, punish is, is going to be tested. But it's clear, like in the Loudoun County policy, kids in the school system will violate the rules if they fail to use affirming pronouns as just one example of coerced speech, coerced indoctrination, coerced belief. And because of the presence of coercion, that changes the situation. And what I said earlier in, a, in the Q&A period when I was stepping in for Jim, I am absolutely convinced that the key to this whole thing is convincing trial judges to begin with and appellate judges uh, uh, eventually that the kids are not okay. If the kids are not okay by remaining in the public schools, if they're going to be harmed by what's going on in the public schools, I think they will listen to the, to the constitutional theory that, we're, that William Ball advocated and that we're going to take on. And so I, we, ADF is looking for a combination of two things. The worst possible, most coercive facts that we can find in a, in a public school system, plus parents that are willing to challenge what's going on. Second, the best possible jurisdictions to do that. Um, and so we're aiming to, to gear up four major cases uh, these are very, very difficult cases a matter of manpower and litigation because most constitutional litigation is not highly disputed on facts. We, we represented Jack Phillips in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. There's no dispute about the facts. People came in requesting a same-sex wedding cake. Jack made it very clear that he would sell them anything in his store that was pre-made, but he was not going to use custom artistic work to design a message that he didn't agree with. Now, the dispute in that case, a very, very strong dispute, was about what the law is, but not about the facts. The cases that I'm describing for you are deeply fact-intensive, and it will take a lot of challenge. And it's, it's clearly an uphill battle uh, to be able to do that. But ADF has substantial uh, uh, team. We have over 350 people on our staff. And uh, we've got 13 offices around the world. But, uh, Large, several large offices in the United States, and we intend to take on these cases. So I, I would invite you, urge you, uh, to send us the best cases you can hear of, in, uh, particularly if they're in uh, circuits that are pretty good. Um, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth. No, not fourth, excuse me. Fourth's not the best, but uh, fourth, fourth and ninth are the two worst circuits in the country right now. Um, but but uh, anyhow. I'll, let us figure out where the circuits are good or bad. You just send us bad facts. Uh, we'd love to, to do that. I believe that we're in a moment where uh, the activism that's going on about kids in education is going to tip the balance of our country battle for freedom in a really good direction. Because when you touch people's children, you've touched something deep and valuable. And 
what is happening and what you've heard over the last two days, the, uh, uh, the aggressive attack of, of a people that are following Hillary Clinton's, it takes a village to raise a child mantra that basically says, we don't want parents running the children, we want the government uh, raising your children, making the, the ultimate decisions for your children. That crowd's gone too far, they've overplayed their hand, and parents are rising up. People that are not ideologues, people that don't have strong religious beliefs, just regular old parents believe that they want to get the schools to stop trying to indoctrinate their children in anything about race, about gender, about anything, and just get back to basic old academics. And people that will successfully marshal that energy are going to flip this nation in a really good direction. And I think it will be for the better.